0: Hello. My name is Kevin Rodkey. I'm an attorney with Finnegan, and I'm pleased to be here with Deputy Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and Deputy Director of the United States Patent and Trademark Office, Derek Brent, to discuss some of the USPTO's exciting pro bono initiatives. Derek, thank you for being here, and can you just give us a little background on yourself to get us started?
1: Sure. And and Kevin and, and all the folks at Finnegan, I want to thank you very much. Uh, for having me here, uh, I'm looking forward to a good conversation and uh, to everyone in the audience. I, I, it's a it's a pleasure to to be with you today. Background on me: I grew up in a I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania, a little small town called Washington, Pennsylvania. Undergrad in mechanical engineering at Ohio State or the Ohio State University as they call it, and then I ac- actually started there as a double major in music and mechanical engineering. I was a jazz composition major. Trumpet was my principal instrument, uh, but I finished out mechanical engineering, the more practical solution towards getting a job. Right then, I, I worked for three years for General Motors as a uh, manufacturing uh, engineer and also as a, a basically a, a plant a managing five subcontracted plants uh, for the company. Following that, I went to law school uh, in Chicago at Northwestern. Practiced in Chicago for a while, doing intellectual property litigation along with a few other areas of law. Also did some employment law after a federal clerkship and then uh, ended up moving on to the uh, uh, Department of Justice in D.C., where I was a senior trial attorney in the Civil Rights Division. After that, I went to the Hill where I was a uh, chief counsel for Senator Boxer for six years, where I had the, the pleasure of work. Uh, I should say pleasure, but that I, I worked on the uh, many intellectual property issues, uh, including the uh, including the AIA. And then after that, I worked. Uh, I worked uh, with Massimo, a medical technology company in Southern California, and I worked with them for four and a half years as an associate general counsel. And then for six years after that, I, I did some consulting for a startup, also helped to form two nonprofits, and then uh, taught American government at Georgia Southern University. And uh, I got the call to serve one more time uh, here in the uh, USPTO. And at the Department of Commerce in 2022. And August 1st, I was sworn in. So uh, that wasn't as brief as I would like it to be, but I've had the, uh, as the Beatles would call it, the long and winding road. Well, we appreciate the full background.
0: Why don't you give us just a general overview of the USPTO's pro bono programs?
1: Sure. I've been privileged uh, since coming to work here to work with the uh, pro bono programs. In fact, it was Probably my second or third day that the uh, the folks here who handle the program came over to meet with me and and we were you know we were in sync from minute one uh, and I can say that about the director too the uh, director of Adal. Uh, one of the first things that she did when she uh, after she was confirmed was to increase the funding for the uh, pro bono program in order to expand its reach the PTO patent pro bono program we are part we are I wouldn't say partner but we fund twenty uh, in, independent Uh, providers across the country. And the way that works is that the USPTO provides funding. And if an organization, if a a nonprofit wants to join in and provide those services, then what they can do is they have to put put up a matching set of funds. And then that organization will match folks who meet the financial qualifications for our pro bono program, inventors, small businesses, and will match them with practitioners in their area. And usually that 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 financial, you know, that financial line is usually roughly around 300 percent of the uh, of the poverty line. And so they will match them up. And once they match them up, they will make sure that, the, that they get the service that they need, that you get you basically get an attorney. And so the pro bono program has had great success. We've been tracking demographics uh, and demographics and other statistics since about 2015. And I think we've put in roughly 95,000 uh, pro bono hours since then. So it's we it, it's it's a it's a great example of what happens when you put services where they are needed. And uh, we we feel like we we feel like it's been a uh, a very worthwhile endeavor.
0: Well, that's great. And especially the, you know, 95,000 hours, that's a lot of time to dedicate to the pro bono initiative. There's really a lot to unpack in, in what that summary that you just gave. So why don't we start with the 20 organizations you mentioned? Where are they located around the country, just in case small businesses and inventors are looking
1: for this assistance? Sure, and if the the very first thing I would say is is please go check out our pro our, our pro bono page on the USPTO website, and it will give you the exact it will give you a list of the providers in your area. But we have twenty providers across the country in various states. But those but but note that even though there are only twenty, they cover all fifty states. So there are some of these organizations that cover multiple states. So, for example, I believe we have a group in California that is now covering not only California, but I think they cover Nevada, and they also are 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 soon to be covering uh, part of picking up uh, part of Washington State. And so, we have 20 organizations that we that that we fund across the country. They cover all 50 states plus they cover two of the territories. And, and the easiest way to find out who is in your area or who co- who services your area is to is to look on the uh, USPTO website.
0: Great. And um, just for everyone out there listening, we will have links to a number of the resources that are mentioned in this podcast in the notes at the bottom. So feel free to go check those out, especially these organizations, the general page on the USPTO's pro bono programs as well. So, Derek, also, you mentioned there's some criteria to participate in this program. Um, What criteria is that in case someone is thinking, hey, this sounds like a good fit for me. Am I able to, to help and participate?
1: Sure. The, you know, the, the primary criteria, which I mentioned is uh, is, is to be, uh, have a financial need. And that is, you know, that is 300% of the poverty line. There are some states that now every state has different uh, regulations or laws around pro bono provision. So there are some states that have a slightly different uh, interpretation or different, a different uh, financial line. But other than that, we also require, we also like to have our, our folks coming into the program. We would like for them to have a provisional patent. If you don't have a provisional, then we would like to at least know that you've gone through our certificate program to understand intellectual property and have a sense for what's a patent. What that does is that, uh, that allows the, the, as the inventor or the small, uh, the small business comes in, it allows them to hit the ground running with a really good, with a, with a good success rate. There will still be education that goes along in the relationship between the pro bono attorney and the uh, and, and the uh, the client but what we want to do is we want to make sure at the beginning that we you know, that that we are helping people and look sometimes the help takes the form of saying you know what you don't quite have something that's protectable but here here might be some ways that you could go about this but come back you know so sometimes it's telling someone you don't have what you need right now and but other times it is moving forward into filing a full application and and, and going forward from there
0: Great. And yeah, obviously, you know, as attorneys, part of our job is we're counsel, right, is to counsel people on the ways to approach various aspects of their inventions, their IP, things like that. You mentioned both diversity and you've also mentioned application filing. So let's let's turn to those two next. With 95,000 hours of guidance being given under this pro bono patent program, do you have any statistics on the number of applications and the demographics that have made that
1: possible? Yes, and let me let me take this from uh, sort of two sides. And so, let me talk about it from the practitioner side, and then talk about it from the from the uh, the demographics, aka the the client the client or the user side. On the practitioner side, as I said, we've put about ninety five thousand hours in it, and roughly there have been about two thousand patent applications that have that have come about through this through this program. This past. March, we just celebrated in Minneapolis the 100th uh, patent application uh, to come through to come through that program. It was a it was a, a monumental moment, uh, to say the least. Uh, and I was ac- I was actually able to give the patent to the actual to the inventor. The other side of the the other side of the equation is the, are the users, of course. And so when it comes to the folks who use the the pro bono program, there you know we we've, we've seen a great amount of success in terms of in terms of the inclusive nature of those of those who use the the uh who are, who are pro bono uh constituents and i think the important thing about this is where is what happens when it answers the question of what happens when you put services where, where they are needed well what happened in our case is 43 percent of our pro bono of our pro bono clients identify as women. Now that's three times, that's more than three times the number identified on the traditional patenting track. 13% roughly. So 43% identify as women, 35% as African American, 14% as Hispanic Latino, 8% as veterans, and 6% as Asian as Asian Americans. Uh, native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders. So that is a that is a robust group of folks and it can still grow. There's still more there's still still more room to grow. But what you get when you put the services where they are needed is you're getting a robust and inclusive a, inclusive environment of new folks that are coming into the ecosystem and they're going to they're going to continue to use the ecosystem as long as we keep giving them service as long as we can give them services. And they will graduate from these services to the point where they use other services, where they use private practitioners. So this is a good thing. It's building a healthy pipeline. That's
0: great. And and of course, reaching out to those underserved communities, people who don't typically participate or haven't historically participated in the IP system. I know that's another uh, set of initiatives that the USPTO is taking. For those who are listening, uh, the USPTO did another podcast where uh, regional directors Hope Shimabuku and Molly Kochowski talked about those diversity and inclusion initiatives that the PTO is running. Um, and we'll have a link to that as well in the notes below. So I encourage you to go check that out. Um, the USPTO is doing some really exciting work there as well. And one of the things you mentioned, Derek, is you know we're bringing people into a system Part of that is education, and what are you know some of the benefits that come from just even entering the IP system and, and getting a patent application or a patent grant.
1: Right? Well, <clears throat> you know, Kevin, you and I could have a, a, a long cover. We do a podcast just on that topic, right? Yeah, yeah I, I, I and and I, I will hit the head. head like I would love to hear hear you know hear your experiences, but sure. if it's anything like mine, Kevin, it's what I what I find is that. The benefits, like I said, I mentioned a couple of the benefits. Right when you bring them when you bring them into the system, the system becomes more inclusive. But that system becomes stronger. You're so you're now you're bringing more you're bringing more different people into the system. You're solving more problems. Innovation is about solving problems, bringing things to bringing innovation to impact, bringing it to the marketplace. And one of the things I just I don't want to forget this. And so I apologize if I'm jumping around a little bit. Well, one of the things that we're adding we're adding on this as a, you know this year is we're working with funders to bring them into to bring them closer to our pro bono uh, clients so that you not only have the just the straight invention track but we also have, have we're trying to bring funders in through our pro bono advisory committee training on on so that folks are, are able to when you get your invention you can be busy you know building a business at the same time that's very very that's very very important. there's also one of our pro bono and I know we, we, we may talk about it at some point if not'll I'll probably find a way to talk about it but we're also proud of our pro our pro bono law school clinics One of them I, that I'm going to give a shout out to Penn State which Penn State turned from a law school clinic into taking over a, the pro bono program for the state of Pennsylvania but one of the interesting things that Penn State did is they they put this program the pro bono program, inside of what's called a launch box which is basically an entrepreneur training system so in this training system what what they're doing at penn state is you're coming in as an inventor you're going to get you're going to get paired up with a practitioner and you're going to get a chance to learn you know to 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 advance your your invention but along the way you're going to learn how to do a market survey you may you may find ways that you can actually enhance your invention so that it's better prepared for the marketplace you're going to learn how you're going to learn how to build a business so that at the end of the day when you get through the other side of the tunnel you don't just have a product you don't just have an invention you have a business and you can go from there whether that's now you develop a second product whether that's you you go ahead and build a business or whether you decide to license or sell it off whatever it is you come out with a much more complete product and so we're finding more ways to try and bring funding into the pro bono realm so that folks are not just are not just concentrating on getting an award of a patent, but they're actually build, becoming entrepreneurs or business people. Uh, I think, though, the system, I mean, the system itself, right, the economy gets stronger and you start to, as I said, solve different, you start solving different problems and you're spreading out all of this innovation to new places. And, uh, you know, we're crossing across the country to different communities. And I think all of that is a is a is a benefit. You know, it's the it's the rising tide. And it, you know, as they say, lift, lift all boats.
0: Yeah, and that's great. And hearing you talk about both the inventor side, that the pro bono program is helping to educate about the IP space, talking about the investor side. It's great that the USPTO is helping to put those two together. And I know you talked about Penn State, which is a university near and dear to my heart. Uh, My dad grew up just outside of there. And so fond fond thoughts of Penn State. Also, you know, that's a success story on the law school clinic side. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I know you have a number of law schools participating in that program. I think, you know, as we were preparing for this podcast, you mentioned that you may be looking to bring on additional law schools. Do you want to hit that briefly? And then let's talk about some success stories from the inventor side as well
1: sure in the pro bono program everybody wins and i'm going to i promise you i will link this up into the pro bono law school program because for the practitioners whether they're advanced or whether they're 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 early in their career if you're early in your career you're getting a great experience in client in client management right and then if you're if you're advanced you kind of get to do that you know that work that kind of rounds out all of the work that we're doing right you want that ability to give back and to, to help someone to open a door for someone. And so they're, they're, the, the, the pro bono side is not just fulfilling for the client. It's also fulfilling for the practitioners. And what we found, like we did a program in Minneapolis recently in March, I believe it was, but the practitioners came out and they were as excited to talk about their experiences in the program as much as folks who had gone through the program and also folks that wanted to wanted to get into the program as inventors and entrepreneurs. So there's it's one of those things everybody's winning with this program everybody gets a little bit out of it. I think the same the same could definitely be said about the pro bono law school program uh, Both you 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 and I, I think you and I and I'm, I'm not sure if you had a pro bono clinic when you were in law school I, I didn't but how cool would it have been to be able to do a little bit of work uh, a little bit of work and get a little bit of that client experience So once again the pro bono law clinics are are, are a, a another program that we've developed. We we have the law schools. We have law schools around the country, roughly sixty-ish law schools that have this program, and they either have a trademarks uh, trademarks program, a patent program, or both. And the idea is that you will get is that students will get a chance, if they're they'll be working under the guidance of who, of the person who runs the clinic, a faculty member, and there's a requirement that the faculty member uh, I think have have uh, be a member of the bar, have a registration number of of, of the bar. And then also have filed something within the last five years. And if they meet that requirement, then the students are able to practice, and they get a limited license to practice underneath their supervisor, their supervisory attorney. We also allow adjuncts to come in to assist the faculty members so that you the students, if they get a, if, if there's enough work going around the clinic, we want to make sure that we can service as many as we can. So that's the and that's the student side. The uh, the financial requirements again are, are are set basically by state pro bono pro bono requirements, but we I think we also allow we we allow the schools to dictate uh, to dictate who they will serve or what geographic region they can they can handle feasibly within their their time. But it's a win for the students. It's a win for the faculty and the school a chance to give back. But it's also another way that we can get deliver services where they're needed and in the communities. And so it's been. That's another program that has been great. When I was growing up, my pastor used to have a phrase that he would say at the end of, uh, at the end of services, he would always say that our church is small enough, is is big enough to serve, but small enough to need. And that's kind of how we are about the USPTO at the USPTO. And in terms of the pro bono program. So we're still looking for more schools. And so if there are any schools or faculty members out there, please, we're looking to add more pro bono uh, law school clinics, uh, I believe we're, we're at least open until next January. So we're looking to add more and we want to, you know, provide more experiences uh, for, for the students and for services for those in the community.
0: That's great. And I know it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity for law students as well, getting that kind of hands-on experience. I know, you know, when I started in practice, um, I wasn't able to participate in one of those clinics. I wish I could have, but you learn so much so fast the first time you do an application or the second time you do an application. And it's really nice to be able to see the USPTO providing for really both sides of the, the practice, the the stakeholders, the inventors and entrepreneurs, and also the future practitioners. And it's just going to make everyone better, as you said earlier, right? It's a rising tide. Yeah. Um, so, what? Why don't you give us one of the success stories of someone who's gone through the program um, and and what they got out of it? Just you know, tell us some of some of that side as well.
1: Yeah. I'm going to, and I'm going to use a, a a story from Chicago, uh, Jamaica Shoshana. She came up with a, uh, an idea for a a hoodie and uh, but reversible. And and so going through the program, uh, you know, going, going through the program and of course you, you know, first you have to go out there, can I actually do this? And you start kind of stumbling, bumbling, trying to find your way around uh, Jamaica was working on a, a provisional application and, it was and decided to start availing availing yourself of the, of the pro bono services and lo and behold was able to was able to to, to secure not one but two patents uh, on the product it was able to get it out into the marketplace and it's been very successful and Jermico has been a, a big advocate for the services of our program uh, it is it's just an example and i mean again you you have something you, you hear you have a product, but you know you have a product and you have an idea. But you have what does it take to get it to to move it, you know, into the marketplace? And how can I move it to the marketplace safely? And that's where, that's where that pro bono service kicks in, if you meet the requirements. Of course, I keep saying that if you meet the requirements. But if you meet the requirements, you're going to get service, just like the service that big companies are getting. You're going to get someone that's going to Help you get your 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 uh, invention through. And then you can, you have a chance to compete in the marketplace just like anyone else. And that was and that was a success here. And it all started with an idea. So and, and Jamaica's gone on to be a big advocate and a big advocate for our program.
0: That's okay, great. I'm sure there are, are many success stories. So I'm glad you were able to highlight that one. And you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, there are requirements for the the patent pro bono program, but if someone doesn't meet those requirements or chooses not to participate in the patent pro bono program and they want to file their own application uh, pro se the uspto has resources for that too right
1: that is uh that is correct Uh, so whether you're a person who wants to file your own your your own ip or if you're a person who you're or, or if you're a person who just is trying to figure out do i even have ip one of the one of the services we have is something called ip identifier and it allows you to go. You know, somewhat like Jamaica, Jamaica, uh, to go into the you know go into our system, answer a few questions, and it'll give you a sense of what IP, what intellectual property fits best for what you're trying to do. Is it copyright? Is it trademark? Is it patents? Is it a design patent? So it gives you a really good sense, and that's that's just for your initial step. And then if you want to file a a, a patent on your own, what we do have a we do have a pro se, a pro se unit and a pro se program. And we're not, now we're not allowed because we're a reviewing agency, we're not allowed to give legal advice, but we can at least help you procedurally to understand what's going on. And so we have a whole, we we have a team of of examiners slash attorneys who along the way can give you procedural advice to help you move through the process. And we do have, you know, we have folks who choose to do it that, who choose to do it that way.
0: Well, that's kind of an important thing, right? Because the, the USPTO going through the procedures, you know, sometimes really what, what they need help with is just how to do it, right? They've, they've got the ideas, they've got the substance, right? But the the mechanics of it. So it's really nice that you can provide that as well. You mentioned the IP identifier with, you know, telling and helping people identify what kinds of IP they have. So let's say it, it comes back and says, oh, you've also got trademark protection that you could look into. Is there a pro bono program for that as well?
1: Yes, there is, and there's two parts to it, right? So the law school, as I mentioned already, the law school programs have, have some of them have trademark trademark programs, trademark clinics. So you can opt to go through the if you if you want to go through a law school clinic, you can opt to do your your trademark application through the law school clinic. It's not us, but through the uh, for TTAB and and through TTAB and through Inta the organization, they have, they have put together a trademarks pro bono program and the person running that program actually helped to form the USPTO patent pro bono program. So it, it's, they, they were able to get it off the ground much more quickly, uh, but it's technically being run through it's being run through into, but it, it, we share, you know, we, we share resources and, and if, a you know, if somebody, if one of, if somebody on our end comes up and it's like, oh. This is much more in the in trademarks, you know, trademarks area. We make sure we, you know, we can make referrals so that folks can get the services that they need. Great.
0: And again, building that ecosystem, right? Helping helping inventors and entrepreneurs get the knowledge that they need, the assistance they need to protect that intellectual property that's, that's coming out of, of these businesses.
1: One of the things, and I, I'm sure you've had this experience because you work with, you know, you've worked in your career with, with, entre, with entrepreneurs. But they, to me, they are one of the more fascinating sets of folks. And when I say entrepreneurs, these are people who are not just in the weeds, in the weeds inventors, like they're, you know, they're solely focused on the inventive or the the, the scientific part or the, the creative part of the invention. But entrepreneurs who are building businesses, you know, I had the experience that it was a privilege. Uh, it was a privilege and an honor but I had a chance to talk to a group of, of, of entrepreneurs. I, I've had chances to talk to them since I've been here and they're one of the hungriest groups to know more about intellectual property. Once you, once you talk to them about intellectual property, you almost can't get away from them, which is a good thing. And they really need, you know, they, they, they're, you know, as I talked to entrepreneurs and I gave, gave a speech in March, I believe it was talking to uh, practitioners about what entrepreneurs are asking from us, uh, and it's it was it was an interest it was interesting because before that what I do is just talk to a group of entrepreneurs, and they want us to go along for the journey. They want us to be partners. You know, they want us to give us. You know, even if they if we can give them just a little bit of a hand, because it's you know being an entrepreneur is a is a heck of a process. You know, you're you're all in and you're consumed. You're just trying to build this thing. You're you're building the plane at the same time you're trying to fly it, and so. Any little help that they can get from us as practitioners, from our experience, from working with other folks, they will take. And they, all they want from us is just think about their whole business and be partners with them. And I find that when you talk to, when I had this particular once one speech that I, or one fireside chat that I had last year sometime uh, with a group of entrepreneurs, and we talked about... IP from the business side. We didn't talk about you know the nuts and bolts of IP or or doc, any doctrines or anything. We just talked about IP and how it fits into your business, what it could do for your business. And Kevin, it was it was a great conversation. First of all, but B, when I walked out of there, like when I was walking out of, the, out of the room and talking to folks, their heads were buzzing. They're like, "Yes, this is the the you know the one phrase I heard was like this is like this this is the same way that I think about buying a computer to handle my business." It's another asset that I need to think about along the business. It is really truthfully. And so entrepreneurs, I find, are are a group of folks who are who are very hungry for our help. And they're also very hungry for for the the knowledge that we have. So and like I said, I'm sure you've had that experience when you've talked to entrepreneurs, how, you know, how much they soak in and they're like, wow, this is you know, this is something this is worthwhile because otherwise they look at it as just another hurdle or registration or, or like sort of like a procedural requirement. And instead, when you explain to them what it can do for their business overall and how it leads to the second and third iterations, you know, it becomes a business thing and they get excited.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the most fulfilling parts of the practice, right, is, is helping helping people build their businesses and build their products, um, helping companies build their businesses and build their products. It's It's creative, it's it's intellectually stimulating, right? And you're giving people knowledge, as you mentioned, you're helping them participate in something that's important that they just don't have experience with, and you're helping them build those those bridges and those connections. You know, you mentioned the fireside chats. I, this is maybe a good segue to something like the USPTO Inventor Hours, a different resource that gets provided. Um, do you just want to give a, a brief discussion on that?
1: Yeah, it's a great resource. Uh, again, you know, go to the website and, uh, you know, go to the website. We, we have a schedule of our events, but one of the things we do are these inventors hours where we, it, it's sort of two sided. It's one, we present some, so, you know, some issues that we think are, uh, are, are of relevance to particularly small inventors who, you know, to keep them it, it, to small inventors or smaller businesses to keep them abreast of, of new trends in intellectual property. And, 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 and it's not so much new trends on the technical side. It's more about hey, this is this is something that's happening, and this is why it's important to you. It, it is very much of a focused uh, focused uh, thing. But then there's also a chance to to engage with the uh, with inventors and to hear about things from their side. What's what's going on in their community? So it really functions as a one two you know as a one two punch, and we both benefit from it. We learn we learn a lot, which is I think why. We're trying, we're trying to figure out, we, we want to talk to inventors more. We, you know, as you may or may not be aware, just this past, oh, June, we, we conducted two listening sessions that were required out of the recently passed Unleashing America Innovation Act. We conducted two pro bono sessions. And I'm, I sound like I'm going back to pro bono, but I'm going to get to, but, the, but one of the sessions was with inventors. And it, one of the comments that came up from the inventors is 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 that they find in the inventors hours to be an incredibly valuable resource. And so the you know the purpose of this particular listening session was to hear from inventors what resources in it you know why the pro bono program was important to inventors, but also beyond the pro bono program, are there other resources that are important? And the inventor hour inventors hours were, uh, came up, and a lot of the inventors groups will make sure that they 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 let their uh, inventors know about the scheduling. So. Please to anyone out there who might have people who could who could avail themselves of Inventors Hours, this incredibly educational uh, uh, program. We think
0: great, and I don't want to steer us, you know, too too far away from the pro bono topics. But we've talked about, you know, prosecution, patent prosecution, a little trademark prosecution. But the pro bono programs don't end there, right? If you've filed an application and maybe you've gotten a final rejection and you want to appeal that to the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, the USPTO has an ex parte Appeals program too, right?
1: Uh, that's correct. We yeah, that's correct. We, uh, we, help, we we do help. Folks, we do help folks. We help folks with that to provide. Uh, we provide services to allow to help you to be able to do your ex parte program. That one is conducted outside. I, I believe it's 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 conducted in, in conjunction with the bar. That's another one where I think what is made. And I, I'm going to go to a, a a general topic, which is. What has helped us in the pro bono realm, across as you see this, as you hear each of these programs, is partnering with folks, with, with with other folks in communities to help make these programs scale up, and that's that's been a huge help to us. So yes, if you if you have an ex parte, if you have an ex parte and you've got, you've gone along and you and you meet the the resource requirements, the financial resource requirements, uh, you too can get help in in filing your uh, filing your appeal.
0: Great. And you've talked a number of times about how the USPTO is is helping stakeholders, entrepreneurs, inventors with various programs, the law school clinics, obviously helping law school students. This is maybe not pro bono specific, but uh, you're helping younger practitioners as well through something called the LEAP program, right?
1: Yes. uh, We have, yeah, we have a, the LEAP program is another one where I think, you know, Kevin, if you're, if you're like me, sometimes you look around and you say, uh, and you say, the, the, the kids these days, they have much cooler toys than I had, you know, the, uh, you know, every time I look around at a kid playing a, you know, a handheld PlayStation or whatever, I'm like, I didn't have that. I, you know, back in my day, we, you know, we, you know, we barely had Rubik's cube. Uh, but, but we, but, but, but this is a program where if you have, as long as a young practitioner, it's usually a young practitioner, but a practitioner, regardless of, of age, uh, but a practitioner has, I think, three or less or less than three federal argue, federal arguments, substantive arguments, they can take it they 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 can take advantage of the leap program. And what the LEAP program does is through the PTAB bar, it's through PTAB, uh, if you have a case, a, a case in PTAB and there's an oral argument, your leap your your attorney, your your more junior attorney, will be able to argue and will be able to get feedback uh, and get feedback. Uh, and we'll also get some extra time to argue and it's it's an incredible program for building the building you know better practitioners for the future again a wonderful opportunity it's a great opportunity for the clients but it's a great opportunity because they're going to they're going to get a more seasoned attorney out of this that's probably going to help them on on other matters as they go on for the firm it obviously is a benefit and it's a benefit for the uh, practitioner and i believe in some cases i believe is. As we were talking about, in some cases, they even get a chance to do mock, you know, mock arguments. And so that's it. And and can you imagine that being able to do a mock argument uh, where you're able to get feedback? And, you know, that's, I remember as I, uh, you know, uh, when I was a young attorney, when I was a young attorney, we had a lot of our senior litigators, the first firm I worked at had a lot of senior litigators. And they would, they would conduct lunchtime sessions where they worked us through depositions where we were either we either had to take depositions or defend depositions against them just for practice so that we would be prepared in our first year or second year to if we had to go out and do these depositions. And it was a it was a great experience because we got feedback. We got immediate feedback like yes that worked, that didn't work. Look at your client, you know, the way it makes your client feel, different things like that. That's what you're getting in this leap program. And and it's been very, you know, it's been successful and I think it's going to continue to grow. And you know, big thanks to our you know our partner, the p Bar, uh, in help in, in helping us with this program.
0: Yeah, and I know that you know leap is something that we've used to great success here at, at Finnegan. And as you mentioned, there's both the live argument aspect, right, with the extra time, being able to get up in front of the judges in the in the merits argument, but also the other side of getting the feedback and the mock argument side of leap, where younger practitioners can go in with a practice problem, present in front of PTAB judges, and as you said, get that immediate feedback, hear what the judges are finding persuasive and not finding persuasive. And it, it turns them into a more seasoned, as you said, attorney who's now got that substantive experience under the belt. And I think it's a great program um, and it's it's been used to good effect. And as you said, it's, it's doing a lot for the, the community as well.
1: I think, yeah. And I, and I think, Kevin, I mean, just to, just to add on to that, because... Because sometimes like, look, intellectual property cases in litigation are big state, big state cases. They can be big state cases. And so sometimes it can be hard for, it can be hard for, for junior attorneys to get, to, 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 to get that, that, that really good experience or that frontline experience. But you, but, but you never know when they may be called to action, right? You never know. Like when, when all of a sudden there's just uh, you know, a matter where they're going to get pulled to the front or you never know years down the line when they're going to need that experience. So getting that experience as early as possible is, is, is a benefit. And, you know, and again, let's go back to the top of the funnel. We all benefit when, you know, when the system, when everybody's becoming a little more savvy and everyone knows how the system works a little bit better. We get better attorneys, we get better arguments, we get better cases, better outcomes, so it's and it works well, and you know the judges all learn
0: too. Exactly, and and so I think maybe we can we can start to tie all this together because we're kind of nearing the end of our time. How and what is the USPTO doing to help put this information out into the world? I know we've mentioned a couple of web pages, but what else are they doing to make sure that the community as a whole uh, is aware of these various programs that are available that we've talked about, and maybe some of the ones that we haven't.
1: Well, you know, Kevin, I'll tell you, uh, anyone that runs into me in D.C. or Alexandria probably is going to get going to get an earful of what the USPTO is doing. And, uh, but no, that's only that's because I'm so proud of the work that we're doing here. But it, you know, in all in, in all seriousness, I, I think that you know both the director the, the director and I any chance that we have at a speaking engagement, if we're talking to a bar association, if we're talking to entrepreneurs. We're trying to spread the message of not just pro bono, but the USPTO services. I was heartened recently. I was having a conversation with an in-house counsel from a big company, and one of the things he said is we were talking about whether we were we were talking about a conference and whether the PTO should go to this conference. And he said, "I think you need to be at this conference because, quite frankly." He said, You you all have wonderful services. And he says, I don't think folks know enough. They know that you're there and they know that you have, they know you have services. But when but talking talking to anyone from the agency and you learn about this plethora of, of services that you offer, it blows your mind. And you start to realize that there this is a really it's a big but it's a very good agency uh, in terms of dealing with stakeholders. And I know that our other federal partners feel the same way, feel the same way. A lot of times they're like, we're amazed by the amount of engagement that you have directly uh, with your stakeholders, which I think allows us to develop an information. loop. The ways that the, the direct to, to, more direct answer of your question, the ways that we're getting the word out is, is we, you know, we obviously we have, we have communications that we do, you know, whether it's a, uh, whether we, we're, we're interviewed, uh, whether we, are, we, we write a piece, For external communications we do a lot of communications within the government letting folks know about our services we do a lot of partnering with uh with other with with other uh, uh, bureaus and agencies bureaus within the department of commerce and other agencies we're working with department of energy department of transportation department of defense on ways that you know we can work with with stakeholders who have intellectual property issues we work with our uh our brothers and sisters at the Minority uh, Business Development Agency, uh, the SBA, we do we do co programs with them. A lot, of, some of the programs that we do, uh, some of that programming that we do is on a regional level. So we have four, we have five, we have five basically regional offices. We have one of them is headquartered here out of uh, Alexandria. Then we have four other uh, regional offices that are around the country. You, yeah, as you, I know you interviewed two of our regional directors. Uh, Hope and Molly, uh, wonderful, wonderful colleagues. So that's Rocky Mountain area. That's Denver, Texas, which is in Dallas. We have the Silicon Valley office, which is in uh, San Jose. And then we have the Detroit office that is, or the Midwestern office, which is in Detroit. And through these offices, these offices conduct outreach around the country in their regions. And we constantly, you know, talk about our resources and we go to where people are. We will go to, a, you know, we go to a school to try and inspire students to get engaged with intellectual property to know what intellectual property is. We will go to colleges and, and, uh, and to colleges and universities to let them know about intellectual property as a potential career career option. But to our actual services, we will go into the inventor community. We will go into the entrepreneur community. We use our pro bono program. We tout these things throughout the region so that we can hopefully get people to either look at the USPTO to consult attorneys for for matters that they have, or to use our pro bono programs. And so we're getting the word out through outreach. We do trainings, we do IP basics uh, training. Now we can do sophisticated trainings for incubators and accelerators. We've, we're just we're finding different audiences and finding ways to hit those audiences and to let them know about our to let them know about our services, but also to hear from them what do they need. And and as we hear more things that they need, we try to develop either content or we try to develop services that will be helpful for them. In fact, that's how IP identifier came about, because we figured out that people were just kind of they weren't the the, the one basic question. What kind of IP do I need? You know, we we were able to develop a service that could help uh, further that question. along. So I, I know I took up a bit of time on that answer, but we have a lot of resources. Kevin, I hope it was responsive to your question. Uh, it absolutely was. And
0: I know um, in the other podcast, you mentioned that we've talked about at least once earlier on, we did go through some of those additional resources uh, that are available at the various regional offices. So again, if you're interested in those and listening to this podcast, um, I encourage you to to click the link and go listen to the, the previous podcast and hear about those uh, specific services at each of the regional offices that are available. And Derek, you mentioned right now uh, hearing feedback on the various programs. The USPTO recently requested comment on the pro bono programs. Um, do you just want to hit on that briefly before we have to close up?
1: Yeah, we have a, so we have a uh, request for comment. There's a thing in the, this is a, this is a fairly sophisticated off, uh, audience. So, but we there's we, basically we will put out a, a, government agencies will put out a request for comment, uh, which then can be used for, you know, for purposes of either you could use it for rulemaking uh, you could put, you could use those comments for other purposes, including in our particular case, we have a study that of uh, the pro bono program on the efficiency and the the uh, the, the what we hope our we what we hope is a chance to tell the story of the accomplishments of the uh, pro bono program, and that I believe that deadline is coming up in another in another month or so, and it is, but we we've, we've asked for comments. Please do if you have, and it's not just if you've used our pro, our pro bono program. It's also, if you're, if, if you're a person who, who has thoughts on how the pro bono program could be better, how the pro bono program could be used, how could it scale, what are ways that you could that you could expand the services? I can tell you we're already thinking about expanding the services offered in the pro bono realm, not just in the, in, into the funding realm, but also in different types of legal services that might be needed for folks coming in with inventions. So this request for comment is out there. Yeah, you know, please go to you know, our website. You can go to our website to, to find the portal to submit comments. And again, you don't have to be someone who has either done pro bono or who is is, is has has used our pro bono services. If you have some ideas on what uh, on, on what can make pro bono services better, what can help you as a practitioner to 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 catalyze you towards providing more pro bono those, we want to hear all of that because we want to find a way, A, we're going to have to report on it to Congress, but B, we want to figure it more importantly, I think we want to hear from you because we want to find ways that we can, we can, that we can put these uh, uh, comments into action where we can.
0: Thank you very much, Derek. I guess we're, we're nearing the end of our time. So
1: any closing comments, any closing points that you want to make? Listen, thank you very, thank you very much, Kevin. It's uh, it's been a pleasure to have a chance to uh, have a conversation with you. I, I really appreciate the hard work that that you and your colleagues are doing, and, and especially when I say colleagues, both at your firm and as practitioners. The system runs because there are there are folks like you that are there helping folks to come through come through the pipeline, and they're turning dreams into action. So thank you for the hard work that you and your colleagues do. Thank you for this opportunity to have a chance to uh, to talk about. Something that's near and dear to my heart, but also something that's very important in the, in our system, which is not just our pro bono services, but the services that we can provide to small businesses and entrepreneurs. Things we can use to grow the uh, the grow to ecosystem. So I've had a I, you know I I've had a blast, and I can't thank you enough.
0: No, thank you very much for for giving your time. We know you're very busy. Um, we appreciate you coming on, uh, speaking of this podcast getting this information out there into the community and and helping them. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you.